As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined, as always, in Zoom con- conference by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. Tim, that threw me a little bit. I know, yeah. I, th- I heard we're going to add just one more per week the rest of the season. It's just going to be, by the end of the season, the Athletic will just be about the Mets. I would read it. <laughs> there is enough to write about, I think. I'm not sure that's true. It's, you know, this is a bad complaint to have. There is a little less to talk about when the team is good, right? Like, it's a little easy. If they were a, a, in a calamity and, like, everything at every turn, and we've we've all seen these seasons, right, where, like, everything's going wrong at every turn, then you can just, like, wallow in the misery, and that's, like, an, an easy way to, to discuss the Mets. But when they're good, it's like, what am I supposed to complain about right now? What would be the, the worst Mets team to have a podcast about? From your fandom, like, what team would be the uh, least interesting? That's a great question. You know, like, I, I'm I'm moved to think, like, again, like, 2006 when, like, it just, it just there wasn't really a race. You know, like, they, it was a fun team. Uh, and there was, like, the element of, of Pedro around and, and Carlos Beltran having his first great season with the Mets and Carlos Delgado hitting bombs. But, you know, they, they were just good. They were good all year, and, and they never... There was never much of a race, so like I don't know what you would have talked about until the until the very end, and then it would have gotten pretty bleak. We would have talked about like the possibility of a subway series the entirety of that podcast, probably. I think like the you know to me the 2003 stands out as the, on the other side of things because Piazza got hurt in like mid May, and then the team just like clearly wasn't any good uh, and wasn't going anywhere, and they they lost. I think it was like 66 and 96 that season. It was not a good year. The like 2011 through 2014, I've said this before, but those years just kind of run together for me. I mean, 2012, I know they, they had a, a good first couple months, but to me, it was just kind of like, yeah, they're on an inexorable march to 77 and 85, which is like not bad enough to really throw stuff around and get really upset about it. Uh, not good enough to really be contenders or to make any moves. And they, they were financially uh, in a position by that point where they weren't going to do anything major. On the flip side of things, like the most interesting, we would always have something to talk about season would be like 2002, when all of those guys they, they brought in just were disasters, basically. 
2009, I was, I did host a Mets podcast. Um, and like for as dark of a year as that was, I thought there was plenty to talk about, right? Because it was just like at every turn, someone is getting hurt in some horrible fashion, culminating, of course. And I think we both identified this as sort of like the rock bottom moment for those Mets with John Neese collapsing on the mound late in the season when he was the only thing left you could root for. You weren't rooting for Bobby Parnell's transition to the starting rotation. Uh, I, you know, I I held out hope, but uh, it didn't it didn't go as well as we thought. Remember, it's it's funny that like that John Neese was like a, such a it felt like such a and this is no disrespect to John Neese, he had a fine big league career, but he felt like such a big pitching prospect in in 2008 2009 and then like just a few years later it was like Harvey Syndergaard Wheeler Matt's like all of these guys you know and it was like oh this is Matt Harvey this is the pitching prospect we're waiting for did my draft preview for Friday morning when we are recording this and John Neese I believe is the best ever pick at number 209 which the Mets have again this year so no well best ever pick who signed rich hill was also drafted 209 out of high school but then went to the university of michigan i think there are mets fans who who look at john niece's contract extension and think of that as like an abject failure and it was like it wasn't a, a success but it was it was fine they, they were able to overcome it they were, they were fine with it he was a league average pitcher for a few years something i did not know john niece pitched in the mariners system as recently as 2019 really i would not have guessed that 13 starts in AAA for the Mariners in 2019. It was his his only uh, stateside affiliated action since since 2016 when the Mets last saw him. I was wondering what John Neese is up to now. Let's say coaching somewhere. <laughs> yeah, let's just roll with it. He's probably coaching somewhere. I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a good gig to get, and I feel like if you've been a fairly successful major leaguer, like someone someone will pay you a decent amount of money to to coach some baseball. Yeah, maybe he's if he's into it, it. In Ohio somewhere. He's from Ohio, right? That, yeah, that he's is, from, yeah. from Ohio. Defiance, Ohio, which I always thought is a cool Ooh. thing. Uh, let's talk about the current Mets. And you, you referenced that draft. The draft is coming up. It's a it's an interesting year. You've you've written about it quite a bit at this point, because if you'll recall, and I think most Mets fans do, last year they they went for maybe the, the sexiest name in the draft in Kumar Rocker. Uh, everyone got real excited for a minute, and then a, a minute later, they didn't sign him, and, and Steve Cohen said, uh, education time, and sort of patronized Mets fans with his explanation. So now they wind up with uh, the 11th and 14th pick in the first round, and for a team that seems like it is on the cusp of contending for a while we hope uh it they're probably not going to see draft picks this high for a few years at least we, we can hope not the draft preview that i wrote for friday started out with like you know if if things break right if all goes according to plan this will be the last time the mets have this opportunity that's how i wrote it last year too when they were drafting 10th uh, overall uh and it seemed like you know they were in first place at the time it seemed like they were not going to be drafting anywhere near that spot the following year so uh, there's still you're saying drafting. you're saying if i want a high draft pick like there's still hope that they can completely fall apart this year wind up like in the bottom quarter of the league and get that good draft pick which is really what we want more than the championship yeah, I mean, you can start checking out, I think it's tankathon.com, which, which tracks where, where the draft pick is going to be. As a New York Giants fan, you are, are, you are constantly attached to in, uh, starting in you know, mid-September. 
it's a, a huge opportunity for them because of what happened last year with Rocker, that they have the, the two first-round picks. They also have a compensation pick for Noah Syndergaard signing with Anaheim. They would have had another had Michael Conforto signed elsewhere, so they, they could have had six picks in the top 100. Instead, it's five in the top 90. They've got the third-highest bonus pool uh, of money uh, out of any team uh, behind only Baltimore, who's got the first pick, and Arizona, who's got the second. So there's an opportunity for them to do some cre- creative things. You know, We've seen them in in 2019 and 2020 kind of manipulate their bonus pool to get uh, higher ceiling guys like Matt Allen and JT Ginn pitchers who may not have signed for their regular slot value the major league baseball draft is I think it's so different from the NFL draft or the NBA draft uh, because you've got these kind of other things in terms of how you use your bonus slot money how guys fall in with with signability it's not you, the, the best player goes first, <laughs> the 100th best player goes 100th, and the 200th best player goes 200th. It doesn't work that way in, in Major League Baseball the way it does in other sports. Uh, I'm interested in seeing how the Mets approach it. You know, I talked to Mark Tremuti, your, your podcast replacement host, from a couple weeks back, and, and he was pointing out kind of the years he was in Toronto, and they had that opportunity, and they got maybe a little big-eyed at times about trying to do too much with too many picks, with so many picks early in the draft that you still want to approach it kind of the same way, but there are opportunities here. I think this draft is hitter heavy at the top. Uh, that it's going to, you know, a lot of the best college pitchers, even some of the best high school pitchers, are all coming off Tommy John surgery or something of that that type. Uh, so not a lot of them actually pitched this past season. So the Mets are going to get a hitter, whether it's at 11 or 14. They might get two at those two spots. The other option would be to take one of those pitchers who's got a pretty good ceiling. And it's going to take a little time coming off an injury. Our beat writer mock draft, I gave them Connor Prelip from the University of Alabama, a guy who had Tommy John in, in May of 2021. So it was closer to a return. Could have been you know, a, a top five pick, even a, a candidate to go first overall had he pitched this past college season. He didn't. Uh, and you know, he's a college junior, so 2020 he didn't pitch much. 2021 he had surgery. Guy's thrown seven, had seven appearances in three years at Alabama. So that's a high-risk, high-reward pick. Those are the types of guys they could consider with one of those two picks in the first round. You've got a little bit more leeway to take a high-risk, high-reward guy because you've got another pick right there. And what you're talking about is process. So I think like if we try to get into the specifics of the players available, like it will become immediately clear that neither of us is a professional talent evaluator. The Mets, like every baseball team, employs a, a full army of those, and and they're very good at it. You know, like there's um, there's obviously a lot of variability in scouting. There's obviously some bias that happens whenever you're relying on your eyeballs, but obviously they've got a they've got some some analytics to to bolster that or complement that as well. One of the things, you know, when we're talking about the Mets podcast I hosted back in 2009, something that came up a lot was like bad draft process. Do we feel confident that the 2022 Billy Epler, Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson Mets have the right draft process in mind? I mean, I think you look at the track record of the guys who have run the Mets draft since uh, 2012. Uh, that's Tommy Tanis and, and Mark Tremuda, who was on the podcast. They've done really well. You know, you look at, at the picks they've made in the, the top parts, uh, you know, in the first and second round, some of the picks they've made in later rounds to get a two-time All-Star in the 12th round in Jeff McNeil, uh, Pete Alonso in the second round, a uh, 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 two-time All-Star now, uh, a guy like Seth Lugo in the 34th round that they drafted. They've When you look at what the Mets, in, over the last decade, one of the things they've done best as an organization is draft. 
last year there are certainly complaints you, there are certainly fair criticisms of how they went about protecting themselves in the event that Kumar Rocker did not sign and that they didn't protect themselves for that possibility you know usually the, the example I've used is in, in 2019 when they were going all out for Matt Allen you know they were rearranging their draft in order to ta- to sign Matt Allen they were confident they were going to you know the the area scout at the time in, in Florida who knew Matt Allen said I was a hundred percent sure he was going to sign but they still protected themselves they drafted you know a high school left-handed pitcher named Hunter Barco who was committed to the University of Florida, was probably going to go to the University of Florida unless he got a seven-figure bonus. They drafted him in like the 24th round. If Matt Allen didn't sign, they were going to give the money they had slated for him to this other guy, or at least a, a significant portion of it. Matt Allen signed. Barco went to college. He's a, he's a prospect this year. He might be on their radar uh, for a later pick. He's a pitcher who came off Tommy John surgery. With Rocker, they didn't draft that type of player in the later rounds. It's a little harder to do that now because you've only got 20 picks instead of 40 like you did in 2019. And so, you know, you have to gauge for a team that has a shallow farm system like the Mets, is it worthwhile to take a guy who you're planning not to sign versus taking someone who you know you can sign and put in your organization just in case? this other guy that you feel confident in signing you don't draft a guy if you're not confident in signing him with the 10th overall pick that was kind of the calculation they did last year and it it didn't work for them and as Steve Cohen said uh, in his infamous uh, I think legally cited tweet that cost them not just the the ability to use that that slot money but also you know that that money is often repaid fivefold in terms of prospect value uh, once you get a guy into the system. So that's the criticism of the process last year. I think they'll be wiser about it this year, make the make that trade-off a little differently. Uh, but I think if you look at the broader track record of how the Mets have run their draft since 2012 for a decade now, it is one of the strongest aspects of the organization. Yeah, and even guys who you know haven't paid off for them at the major league level, like obviously Pete Crow Armstrong and Jared Kelnick, who were both traded away in big trades, like they that's still draft value right like if you if you trade some if you draft someone that you were going to be able to trade now obviously there's a lot of criticism fair criticism about the Kelnick deal for because of taking on Robinson's Cano's contract Edwin Diaz has been great Kellenic has not. Justin Dunn has been has been hurt quite a bit. And so, you know, that deal that looked like a potential disaster certainly doesn't look nearly as bad. And and it is a credit to the, you know, like you said, the the scouting and, and drafting unit of the Mets front office that they were able to, you know, pick a guy like Kellenic that they, they chose someone who would return a ton of value. Now I would have to assume that they are now at the point where, you know, and because of this focus on organizational depth, where they are not drafting guys that they will be looking to trade in a few years, that, that they are going to be drafting guys that they need for their system. I always thought it was interesting when, when Brody Van Wagenen was the general manager, you know, clearly the way they attacked the draft was interesting. It worked out for them in the way they, they got Allen and Ginn. I always found it kind of curious that Van Wagenen would talk about these guys as potential top 100 prospects which is a, an interesting way of thinking about their value. He wasn't talking about this guy is going to be, you know, this is a guy who can be a number two starter for us. This is a guy who can be a late inning reliever for us. This is a guy who can be whatever in the major leagues for the Mets. It was the idea of the value they would present as prospects. And given the way the Mets operated under Van Wagenen, it suggested to me that he was thinking of them as trade chips that, you know, in a couple of years or not, you know, in a year or two, Allen and Ginn could be top 100 prospects. They could be moved for major league ready talent that the Mets didn't want to pay for on the free agent market. 
they're not going to operate that way now. They did trade Ginn. It wasn't Van Wagen who traded Ginn, so it's it's not fair to just criticize him specifically for that idea. Ginn going to Oakland in the Chris Bassett trade. But there is a little bit more of an emphasis now under Steve Cohen on building the farm system out where it's, you know, you want to have the draft and development infrastructure like the Dodgers have, like some other teams have, Tampa Bay, for instance, that you are replacing your own players at the major league level with talent behind them. Uh, And when you need to make deals, you can, but you're making them out of a surplus the way the Dodgers were trading, you know, Kiebert Ruiz to, to Washington last season because they've got Will Smith in the major leagues as a catcher. They've got Diego Cartaya as one of the game's best catcher prospects behind him. You can trade one of your, <laughs> you can trade a guy that good in a deal for talent like Trey Turner and Max Scherzer because you protected yourself. The Mets aren't in that spot yet where, you know, if, if they trade Francisco Alvarez, they don't have another guy like him in the system. They don't have a guy like that in the major leagues the way L.A. did uh, last year with their catcher system. So that's that's the goal is to kind of build up your prospect depth so that you know you get to a point where a guy is is maybe a, a top hundred prospect or a fringe top hundred prospect, but you've got another one like him in the system, and so you can make that move on August first for a pitcher, for a DH, something like that to help your major league roster. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As good of a job as all of the prospect rankers do, and you know, it's that is an extremely hard task, and so it's it's hard to criticize people for for missing now and then. And the Dodgers are sort of a poor example of it because I think the Dodgers have done such a good job developing players that the sort of prospecting community adjusts for that and and considers you know maybe Dodgers prospects uh, like a, a little bit higher than they would on some other teams but if you look like look up and down the all-star rosters and you will find all sorts of guys who were never talking about Jeff McNeil or no no one talked about Jeff McNeil as a as a big prospect and then all of a sudden Jeff McNeil was in the majors playing at an all-star caliber Jacob DeGrom was not a big prospect like the Shane Bieber comes to mind they're just 
Um, there's so many great players who, for whatever reason, like never really register in that way when they're coming up, um, partly because I think today, perhaps more than ever before, uh, guys are discovering ways to unlock their potential that uh, maybe hadn't been noticed by, by scouts and evaluators. Um, but also, I think like, you know, a lot of teams are, are simply better than the media experts at knowing what a prospect's upside is and so you know if you're in the Mets I think you want to you want to get to that place where you're not worried about what the outside who the outside feels is a top 100 prospect right it's just you know we're worried about making the best baseball players we can finding identifying and then uh and then developing the best players we can rather than like oh the you know and and again like this is no disrespect to baseball america which is a great job like you you want to feel better about your own evaluations than than baseball america's that's where like development comes in as well and and we could talk about how good the mets have been at drafting they've been reasonably you know their their development has taken steps forward steps back steps sideways over the last several years they've had a lot of different people in to run player development they've had some clear success stories like alonzo and mcneil you know any draft success story is all from the later rounds is also a development success story look at a guy like tyler mcgill who they took as a college reliever in the eighth round out of arizona with the idea that they thought they could make him into a starter and they did that's a draft and develop success story when you're a, you know, a team like L.A., the, the Giants uh, stand out this way, too. When you can take someone who you know, has a couple of good aspects to them, a, a couple of things they're really good at, and you, you make them better at those things and make those things good enough to carry everything else. You, know, you think of the guy who's got a really good slider or something, uh, and they just say, throw the slider 80% of the time. We'll make the slider even better. Uh, and that, beca- that guy becomes a, a lockdown late-game reliever when Yancy Almonte with the, Do- with the Dodgers coming over from Colorado or Evan Phillips with the Dodgers. Those types of development wins where you just kind of tinker with a guy's repertoire or tinker with his delivery. And, and the Mets have shown that a little bit in the last year uh, with a, a draft pick like Mike Vassell, who they took, I want to say, in the eighth or ninth round last year out of the University of Virginia, a guy who had been... Uh, you know, potentially a first-round pick out of high school, but wanted to go to UVA, did not perform well there. They they messed with his mechanics a little bit. Uh, I think he went from a four-seam guy to a two-seam guy there, might be vice versa. Uh, and then when the Mets drafted him, they kind of brought him back to what he was in high school because they liked him then too. Uh, and now he looks a lot more like the top prospect he was as a high school pitcher than he did during three years at the University of Virginia. That's another kind of that's a potential draft and develop win where this guy who they they took in the later rounds last year now has a chance to be kind of a top 10 prospect in the system. Right. And if you were trying to that at the major league level, the move is get pitchers who used to be on the Orioles, because as soon as they leave the Orioles, they get way better. Pirates. Pirates, pirates, is, yeah. pirates, too. pirates is another good example of a team. You just you, you know, like if you're if you're looking for like a cast off starter, you, you go with with Kevin Gosman and then he turns into an all star because he's no longer on the Orioles. Jake Arrieta, plenty of guys. It, it just keeps happening. Uh, let's talk about the current team a little bit or um, uh, let's I guess we'll start with we'll stay on the minors, but hopefully only for a moment. Uh, Jacob deGrom. As we were speaking Friday morning, it was Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, he pitched in AAA and now seems a little bit closer to uh, making that, that second half return that we've been salivating for. Yeah, four innings, 42 pitches for DeGrom. You, you kind of almost wish he were less efficient in these rehab starts because uh, he'd get to, to 
throw more pitches. Usually guys throw about 15 pitches per inning. Him and his rehab starts, it's been like 10 or 11. The next step, uh, as we've talked about, is a little bit more complicated because there are no minor league games from uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week. Minor leagues have their all-star break along with the major leagues. So he will do some sort of sim game, camp game, backfield action, uh, I assume in Florida during the course of that week. Uh, actually, I actually do not know what the Gulf Coast League schedule is like. It could be that they're playing games uh, and DeGrom pitches in one of those. I am not sure during the regular season. That is not fair. Like that is <laughs> every single guy on the other team is going to retire at age 19. <laughs> I, I'm not sure like in the, uh, you know, in spring training when guys play in the uh, like that level of game, uh, you can have like the same batter lead off every inning. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we want the good guy. The, the Mets did this. With, yeah, the Mets did this with James McCann in the, the in spring training. They needed him to get some at bats, so he just played a game there where he batted like twelve times. Well, no, I'm saying the Mets should be able to do that with the opposing hitters too, right? Like, it's like, like, <laughs> it's just there's the only one good guy on his team. He's gonna bat 27 times today because Jacob Degrom needs to tune up as best as he can. So he could do something like that where he just kind of gets his work in. Uh, look, the doesn't matter what level it's at. It's it's not up to Jacob deGrom's level, uh, include, up to and including the major leagues, it seems. He'll do that in the middle of next week. Let's see, the, the start was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Tuesday would be the regular day that he could do that. If they wanted to give him an extra day, it would be Wednesday. Uh, they gave him the extra day leading into this past rehab start. Uh, and then from that point... We could talk about a return to the major leagues. Uh, if he pitches Tuesday uh, in that sim game scenario, he would be ready Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for a game against the Padres. Uh, that would be a Sunday night game. Uh, if he pitches Wednesday, it could be you know coming back against the Yankees in that Tuesday-Wednesday series uh, following the All-Star break, which would be a really fascinating way to do it. If they did decide that he needed one more rehab start, then you're putting his return back the kind of the final week uh, of the month in Miami. Uh, that's a possibility as well. So you're getting close. It's, it is it is reasonable to get excited about seeing Jacob deGrom pitch in a major league game for the first time in, in more than a year really soon. I understand that, you know, they're not gonna, there's not going to be games over the All-Star break. And so you need him, if you need him to stay on schedule, you want one sort of sim game or what, like you said, a backfield game, a, a Gulf Coast League game. I don't think I would have the patience for that if they needed an extra rehab start after that. Like at some point, I mean, the guy's throwing 100 in in AAA. Like if there's a limited number of bullets in that in that weapon, I I want them all fired in major league games. As long as things go well in that camp, as long as he feels good coming out of it, my I would say they're leaning towards probably having him you know, go to the major leagues after that, not have that fourth rehab start, fifth if you want, whatever you want to describe it with the camp game, uh, not have that one last rehab start before coming back to the majors. I, you know, if he's not feeling quite right, if he's going through what Max Scherzer went through after his one rehab, his first rehab start where he wanted to make it just a, a one and done rehab appearance, but didn't feel quite right, knows his body well, decided to take the extra one. And, and the Mets are, I think, reaping the rewards <clears throat> of that patience because he's looked really, really good uh, the last <laughs> the, the two starts he's made since coming back. They're probably leaning towards, uh, let's get DeGrom to the major leagues as quickly as we can. We'll see where he's at there. As we've referenced a number of times on this show, like heading into the All-Star break, wherever they're going to head into the All-Star break, we don't know the, the record, but likely still in first place, uh, way above 500, playing well, deep lineup, and considering that it's all been without DeGrom and that half of it so far was without Scherzer, you feel pretty good about the Mets in the second half. Now, that's something I've said before and been wrong about. 
again, like we've been talking about it all season, there is something very convincing about the way this team has won so far. And you have to think it's it can't get worse with Scherzer in the rotation and, and with DeGrom hopefully soon back in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, and we've gotten this far in the podcast without, you know, <laughs> talking about how well they played in Atlanta, uh, that they won two out of three against a team that, you know... I, it's not just that the Braves are the defending world champions. They're the best second place team in baseball right now. They're a team that if, if you're ranking, and we do this at The Athletic every week, if you're ranking the teams 1 through 30 in baseball, Atlanta's probably in the top five. It's probably, you know, in teams you're, you're thinking about can win a World Series this year, right off the bat you think of the Yankees, Dodgers, you think of the Mets at this point, you think of Atlanta, you think of Houston. Those are probably the, the first five off your tongue. Uh, and so for them to go into Atlanta to take two out of three without Jeff McNeil, without Starling Marte, those are two of their four all-stars, to do it the way they did it with good starting pitching. You know, David Peterson pitched really well on Tuesday. I thought that was a really big start for him. Chris Bassett pitched great on Wednesday, in addition to Scherzer on Monday night, to grind out the at-bats they did where no Atlanta starter recorded an out in the sixth inning. And that's something we've seen from the Mets even during this stretch where you know where the offense has not performed the way they want to they're still getting starters out at early junctures at times that was a really really nice series win a really big series win uh, for the middle of July uh, and and we'd be remiss not to mention that here you are absolutely right and I'm sorry I didn't mention it sooner it was a great series they've been playing fun games lately we have a question and it's a funny one because uh Pat, who asked it on Twitter, and and our man Clay Davis, who's frequently interacting with us on various media, uh, sort of talked it out on their own before we got a chance to answer it. But Pat wanted to know, just a thought for the back of the rotation, thoughts on on a deal with the Angels for Noah Syndergaard and or Aaron Loop. Uh, Angels are done this year. Noah's on a on a short deal. Would Artie Moreno deal with the Mets, given his dislike for Steve Cohen, which is news to me, but perhaps not surprising? Uh, and he says that points out that the prospect cost shouldn't be too high. Look, uh, I think a lot of Mets fans like Noah Syndergaard still. I don't know where he fits uh, for this roster. Like you would be trading for him, uh, and he would be your sixth best healthy starter, probably. You know, unless you you really thought that. You could use him in kind of that 2015 NLDS Game 5 bullpen role. I don't think... But you would, you'd pay that, too much for that, right? Because you're paying starting pitcher prices for uh, a reliever that's fairly untested at that point. Right. You'd be paying $7 million for the last two months of the season uh, on someone like that. Loop uh, you know, makes more sense. They got so much out of him last year. It, that would come down to kind of how Anaheim valued him. He's on a two-year deal, so he's under control next season. The Angels are not in a rebuild situation. They are trying to contend as much as possible. They have the so two best think... players ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're doing things you haven't seen since Tungsten Armo Doyle. I don't know that they're giving away Aaron Loop to kind of reset yet again. I, I think that's probable, probably something where it, it costs you more than you expect it's a little different than the Andrew Chafin situation where Chafin has uh, an opt-out in his contract from Detroit so while he is signed through 2023 he can become a free agent at the end of the season and with the way he's pitched is likely to become a free agent at the end of the season so where Detroit is competitively is similar to Anaheim situation with the the pitcher in question is different Uh, so I would think that Chafin would be even would be more available than loop and is probably a preferable option given the way their seasons have gone when i was a young man and uh i was a one of my best friends was a big yankee fan and Derek jeter got hurt i think at the start of the 2003 season 
And my friend became convinced that the the, the right man to fill Derek Jeter's shoes was a uh, quad A sort of Phillies young player named Nick Punto, who uh, eventually had a long, long and fine major league career. And we took to calling the Yankees front office where someone would pick up and just calling every day, multiple times and asking them what they were doing to acquire Nick Punto, the escalating Nick Punto situation, etc. I feel like maybe probably unprofessional for you, but might want to consider like a, a phone call campaign on, be- on behalf of Andrew Chafin. I did cover, of course, the landmark Nick Punto trade when I was in Boston, um, which is what we called the August 2012 deal that sent Josh Beckett and Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and what $250 million along with Nick Punto uh, to the Dodgers, uh, $250 million in contracts to the Dodgers in return for financial flexibility. The only time financial flexibility has actually been like a winning cause for a team. Yeah, I mean, that was a lot of that was a lot of financial flexibility. We got every other question we had is about trades, but I understand that you have worked one out. I probably oversold it to you, you when we were talking about it beforehand. Um, Making hypothetical so, trades is like my favorite thing. So one of the things I was thinking about uh, is, you know, you've got your teams that are are buyers, you've got your teams that are sellers, and then you've got your teams that are in the middle uh, that haven't made a decision yet or, you know, might do a little bit of both, might dabble. Uh, and I think, you know, we've, we've heard the, the phrase that I think has gained the most popularity in the last couple of years in baseball circles around this time is threading the needle. Uh, so teams that, uh, especially in, in smaller markets, teams that don't have as high a payroll often try to trade from an area of strength in order to backfill an area of weakness or get some prospects they're intrigued by. Think of Cleveland trading uh, Mike Clevenger a couple years ago at the deadline to San Diego. Think of what Tampa Bay does all the time. Uh, And so I thought, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer is out indefinitely for the Rays. Uh, I don't know that he's going to come back this season, actually, and he might be out for the rest of the year. Uh, so he's due, I think, about $4 million over the last two months of the season, in addition to a $2.5 million buyout on a club option next year that I would think the Rays probably aren't going to pick up. So that's $6.5 million due Kiermaier that Tampa Bay probably doesn't want to spend. So I wondered, you know, we, we've talked about where the Mets could find kind of a way to use their financial wherewithal. And, you know, Patrick Corbin is $66.5 million. This is 6 and a half. Makes more sense to me to maybe try, try to acquire Kiermaier in addition to something of value from Tampa Bay. Uh, perhaps someone like G-Man Choi, uh, a guy who rakes against right-handed pitchers, could fill in that, that designated hitter role for the Mets, play a little bit of first base if you needed him to. Kind of everything you want Dominic Smith to be this year, G-Man Choi has been for Tampa Bay. I would have to do deeper research on the Rays' willingness to trade him. I've heard his name out there, at least. It's not like I'm asking the Yankees to trade Clay Holmes or something. But, you know, the the Rays traditionally have a lot of different options, especially at a spot like first base. You know, they've, they've kind of worked the guys like Harold Ramirez and Yandy Diaz and Isak Paredes uh, into their lineup this year. All of those guys have had really nice years. I wonder if they would be a little bit more willing to move someone like Choi, uh, especially if you're saying we'll take on the, the contract from Kiermaier uh, to lower the, the prospect cost. The Rays are a fun team, like when you go visit their baseball reference page, because they always have... Seven guys you've absolutely never heard of having great seasons. <laughs> like, who is Drew Rasmussen? <laughs> the guy holding my fantasy team together, Ted. He's doing really well. Uh, he was good last year, too. You know, you look at their their starting rotation. It's like, ah, oh, yes, the weak link, Corey Kluber, uh, based off of what everyone else has done for them. That, that you know, and 
if you wanted to expand the trade and see what they have to offer in the bullpen. I don't know their bullpen options as well. I know Brooks Raley was actually a guy that I talked about as much as Andrew Chafin in the offseason, but he signed early with Tampa Bay as a left-handed option. I don't think they're willing to move him because they don't have a ton of left-handed arms down there, uh, but they probably have uh, a good reliever that's like toiling away in AAA Durham for you. They have uh, six. You I bet they have six. Well. <laughs> that would be my guess. Uh, but but I don't know that they'll be good if they don't go to the Rays. Because like, like, the Rays have the, the software that needs to be uploaded into the Jeffrey Springses of the world to make them good. Mets fans may remember Jeffrey Springs from a, a terrible start he made against them in early 2020 with the Red Sox when he just... I remember watching that game being like, this is a sign of how far the Red Sox have fallen, that Jeffrey Springs is making starts for them. And then uh, Bloom's old bosses got him in Tampa Bay and turned him into what Bloom and the Red Sox could not. It is a thing the Rays do. It is a thing we would like to see the Mets do. A thing the Mets are, are now trying to do. Uh, and so that's all fairly exciting. Tim... We will speak again early next week. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk over the All-Star break uh, and see how the Mets finish out this series in Chicago. If you have a question for the podcast, you can reach out, asktedberg at gmail.com. You can get that Tim on Twitter, at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. Peace out.